Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, it's me. (laughs) I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm in the early stages of my first ever cleanse. I honestly didn't even know what a cleanse was before I decided to do this and it's fitting to talk about it because Mara Abbott, today's guest, did the first ever conscious cleanse a few years ago when the founders were just getting their concept going. See, I had the impression that a cleanse would mean complete food deprivation. Like I just imagined you'd be drinking strange water, you know, tonic concoctions multiple times a day. And that's why I never did one. And then it would totally suck and that I couldn't do it. But then I met Jules, who's one of the founders of the Conscious Cleanse, and she explained their strategy more. This one's not necessarily about food deprivation, but you do remove a lot of foods. It's just that you're removing all common food allergens and really detoxing your body. I can't remember the last time I removed all common food allergens, but it's funny because I I saw my friend Kim Rosenbarger today of Kim and Jake's. They are episode number seven, by the way. You got to go listen to that one. Kim and Jake's Cakes. Um, And she goes, you're already vegan. What else do you have to detox? It was actually pretty funny. I'm sure I still have a lot to detox, but um, I'm going to talk more about this later. I'm, I'm currently on day four, and the toughest part so far has been removing caffeine because I love my coffee. And when I quit drinking alcohol, caffeine and coffee kind of became my new thing. My coffee shops, I don't want them to go away. But anyway, I'm a bit groggy, but I'm pushing through. So I'll keep you posted. All right. So today we have a truly incredible person on the show. Mara Abbott is or was um, a professional cyclist. That means she literally rode her bike for a living. And I say that loosely because as you will hear, women cyclists didn't really make a living in the sport. They still don't compared to the men. So making a living is an interesting way to put it. But Mara is just absolutely phenomenal. She's one of the most gifted, accomplished women ever on a bike. Her specialty is climbing hills. She can't look at a hill and not wanna climb it. Um, She won the Women's Giro, and she was, uh, when we talked, fresh off a bittersweet, not fresh, I mean, it's been at least six months, but a bittersweet fourth place finish at the 2016 Olympic road race. She actually had an incredibly brave breakaway earlier on in which uh, she held the lead for most of the race, and it really wasn't until the final meters where she was passed, not by just one woman, but by three. So she missed a medal entirely, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. She followed it with a heart-wrenching TEDx talk in Boulder, which I actually went and saw and realized I really needed to have her on the show when she was ready. 
So I gave her a little time here. So she has officially retired after already retiring once before, a little re- early retirement stint that you'll hear about. Um, and and she's now in that uncomfortable place of life transition, which I think she's navigating pretty well with what I imagine and saw was sort of grace and humility. I don't know. I just think she's she's pretty cool and you're really gonna like her. So I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Yes! Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be sitting here with you. Mara Abbott, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, I'm excited to get to be a part of it. What I love is that you rode up on this somewhat windy day, beautiful day in Boulder, You rode up to my house, stored your bike in my backyard, as you should, as anyone should who comes over on their bike. And when you knocked on the door, I was like, oh, did you ride or or drive? And you go, oh, I don't own a car. I love that. So tell me about this. Why don't you own a car? Well, first, I have to say that my options were to either hide it in your backyard or lock it to your neighbor's fence. And I felt like the second one was a little bit... um of a better decorum. Um, well, you know, my, my neighbors might be a little sketchy, so we don't have to <laughs> I go just there. They right? might, I thought they might not appreciate it very much. <laughs> you know, who cares? It's a chain Whatever. link fence. It's a pretty safe neighborhood, but yeah, I get it. Um, and so I haven't had a car. I got rid of my car in 2012, and the reason that I got rid of it was because I went to go and pay my six-month insurance premium and I had not driven it since the last time I paid my insurance premium and I decided that that was a really bad financial plan ding 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 exactly and I, <laughs> I like I mean and the reason I didn't ever drive it because I hated driving it so um it all sort of worked out oh that's so funny so why do you hate driving on many levels so on one level just in terms of sustainability you know I've got my bus pass I've got my bike and to me I can ride my bike everywhere and so it's sort of, I mean, it started as environmental sustainability. Um, that's a huge part of it. I also just don't like like being in a car and being in traffic and like being closed up in a little box is really isolating and just like not super pleasant. And here in Boulder, we have amazing bike paths. And so it actually makes commuting fun as opposed to dreary. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like it started out from environmentalism, but just kept adding reasons from there. You know, you just have a lot of levels. Like, I, re- I part of me just wants to I mean, I dig could, into this I right could do now. A whole, I could do a whole podcast on bike commuting for you. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I do recognize we live in Boulder. You know, people see people on bikes on the road. They know to look for them. There are parts of the country where it's just not feasible and not very safe. So we're at an advantage there. But maybe an advantage we could pave the way for other communities well, and one hot tip is I have a um, I have a bike trailer that Great. I use to carry large and heavy things. And I used to have a cargo trailer, um, but it got stolen. But now I have like a child trailer. If you have a child trailer behind you, even if it is empty, cars are really nice to you. See, that's They're awesome. really nice too if you have a kid trailer. So if that's something that you're worried about. There's my tip of the day. Well, actually, you should get one for like twins or triplets because then they'll be like, oh, I just feel sorry for her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give her a wide berth. Um, so we're sitting here for many reasons. You know, I had the really great opportunity to meet you after the last Olympics. And um, maybe was it before or after your TEDx talk? I can't remember. I want to say it was. I can't remember. It was right around the same time. Yeah, you were kind of uh, processing 
let's say. I was going to say shell-shocked, but <laughs> your word was nicer. <laughs> However you, you phrase it, you were in a transition, and maybe you still are. So this is going to be really, really interesting. So those of you who are new to Mara, um, she is one of the best bike racers of all time in the U.S., and maybe the world. You've done some incredible things. You're, you're only 31 years old still. So in my opinion, you haven't probably even hit your prime. Yet you've already retired twice? Well, the first time I quit. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> the Tell first... me the difference between quitting and retiring. I want to well, know this. Well, because I guess retire. I think of retiring as coming to the end of a natural cycle. Mm. And of like, like for me, it was like, I am retiring. I'm done. And when I quit, like I was mad at cycling and I didn't want to be a cyclist anymore. And people are like, oh, you retired. And I was like, no, like... I didn't retire. I quit. It's like breaking up with a boyfriend. Like we didn't drift apart. We broke up, you know? Totally. And I'm getting with quitting. It's all motion based. Oh yeah. You're like, I'm just in it. I'm pissed. Usually it's probably anger. Well, and I right? think too, when I retired, um, I decided I was like, I'm going to go through the Olympics. I'm going to finish out the year. I've like planned this out ahead and that's going to be the end of my cycling career. And when I quit, I was just like, this is the middle of my career, but I am done. So what so. made you want to, okay, just take us back in time a little bit here. Why did you even get into cycling? Why did I get into cycling? I got into cycling because I was not a good enough swimmer. Oh, um, yes. So I grew up swimming here in Boulder at Rally Sport. Um, and great place, great place. We got to give a kudos. Best, best place. I did that plug on purpose. Um, I remember <laughs> when we were in high school, we always tried, used to try and get Rally Sport in the newspaper because they would always publicize the high school teams. Well, and um, right now we have someone, a friend in common who actually owns the place, Erin Carson. Best woman in the world. Best personality. You guys need to go back in the archives and listen to my podcast episode with her. But anyway, so you were a swimmer at Rally. So I was a swimmer at Rally, and there were a couple of really good swimmers at that time. So Madeline Rivera and Kristen Leahy were both in sort of my generation, and they're training and getting ready for Olympic trials. And basically, I considered myself their equal as like I took the same intention and I was working so hard but like my goal all of high school was to qualify for sectionals which is our regional meet like I desperately wanted to qualify it wasn't that I wanted to like contend I just wanted to go and I never did what was your event on the mile oh shocking good. shocking well we'll, we'll <laughs> triathlon later in this episode um, but right now oh, I'm gonna insult people if we do that um <laughs> but um so I went to a Division three swimming school because that was my level. So where'd you go? Um, I went to Whitman College in Washington State. Cool. Um, which was a wonderful experience. But in Division three, sports are seasonal. And so I got to the spring, and for the first time ever, I didn't have a sport. And so I had made some friends who were on the cycling team. They're like, oh, like you got to come. And collegiate cycling is so fun. So like especially at a small school, because I think there's some programs like CU or like Lees McRae or... Um, Fort Lewis that are they're actually big programs but ours was literally like 12 of us like sending out emails being like who's like got a big enough car that we can pack this into and like staying in someone's aunt's basement and I love Walla those Walla, days. Walla, <laughs> Walla Walla which is where my school it was um, is near nothing so every race involved at least a three or four hour road trip so it was so fun it was just so fun and um, so after I don't know, you know, 10, 12 years of banging my head against the wall of trying to like qualify for the regional meet um, in swimming. I went to collegiate nationals like three months after I first started racing and I won collegiate nationals. Oh my. At which point everyone's like, oh, so you're a cyclist now. They're like, wait a minute. And I was Who like, was that? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a swimmer. 
Oh, so, I love that. I, and so I amazing. still, I still really tried to be a swimmer. Um, but eventually, sort of throughout college, I sort of transitioned um, that excellence and sport passion to something that I appeared to be slightly more suited for. So this like identity. So you're really strong. Per- you have a strong personality. You've got a lot of strong opinions. We know this. That's what my mom would say. <laughs> And yet, you know, this strong sense of self and identity was tied up around something that maybe you loved, but in the end, your natural abilities and something else trumped it. So that's a really interesting thing to switch, flip that switch in your head from I'm a swimmer to I'm a cyclist. It was, I mean, at first it was, I think in that time, it was hard as an identity switch. Now, looking back on it, um, one of my favorite, and I've told this story in a couple of places, but one of my very favorite stories was also when I was in college. Um, I have an older brother. He's three years older. um, And he was working as an investment banker at JP Morgan in New York City. And so I went to go visit him. Um, And so like I'm going to school in Walla Walla and being a scrubby bike racer, and he's rising rising up the ladder at JP Morgan. And so we were talking and... um, it, you know, on the surface, it looks like we're doing really different things. And he says to me, you know, Mara, he's like, I'm not that. He's like, I, I don't know if I love investment banking. He's like, but it's something I'm really good at. And he said, and there's something really special about doing something to be the best in the world at it, whatever it is. And it was so funny because it was like, oh, we're doing exactly the same thing. And so it's one of those things where like, whether it was cycling, whether it was swimming, it was sort of that was my moment that it's, I call it playing best in the world, like taking um, whatever you're doing to that level of excellence and being like, all right, well, this is my vehicle. This is my, what, for whatever reason, this is my talent. I studied economics. This is my comparative advantage. But it wasn't swimming and it was cycling. And so like now I look at that and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the same thing. But at that time, I was rather resistant to the shift. Oh, but I just love this. And I think so many people can relate about maybe the thing you're best at isn't the thing you love the most. Mm-hmm. Maybe you grew to love it, though. Did you grow to love cycling? I loved, um, I think I loved the pursuit. I loved the pursuit, the be- that best in the world pursuit. That being said, my very favorite, to bring us back to the beginning already, um, my very favorite kind of bike riding is always going to be bike commuting. Oh, I that's so cool. I love bike commuting. And cycling was my way to chase that excellence. And there were parts of cycling racing that I loved. But the part that I love is bike commuting. And so that was more about pursuits and goals. Um, mm-hmm. But my, that's my favorite, bicycling. Oh, I love it. Okay, so so here you are. You're a rising star now. You've, you've proven it by winning collegiate nationals. And suddenly, basically, I would assume you just become a pro cyclist. Yeah, so I actually, it ended up working really well um, because I raced for Webcore Builders for a year in 2007. And that's when I was still in college. Um, but it was second half of my junior year, first, yeah, first half of my senior year. And then I had enough credits that I could graduate a semester early, basically. I had to take like one class online. Um, and at that point, I signed with Hot, with, yeah, with High Road, I guess it was called then, um, which was a German team. So could mm-hmm. I have been in school? Probably I could have eked it out for a semester. Would it have been the best use of tuition money? Probably not. And so it, in terms of timing with the school, it worked out really, really well for me. Got it. Um, so I didn't actually have to make that decision. So a lot of people listening might think, well, she became a pro and signed with teams. That means she's making 
hundred grand a year minimum, lots of money, moving into a new sport. Tell us if that was the reality. Well, when I was on WebCore, here we get another instance of me being stubborn. I couldn't get paid because I would have lost my collegiate eligibility and right. I wouldn't have been able to swim. Oh my gosh, I love it. There's not there's a lot of commitment there to this identity. <laughs> I don't think there's eligibility for um, collegiate cycling. At least there wasn't then because it was a club sport. But for swimming, because it was a varsity sport, Got if it, I yeah. took money, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, and then I signed with High Road and. Um, so I, you know what? Okay, so talking money, super awkward, super culturally taboo. But the other thing is that it always, one thing that always irritated me in the sport was that no one ever talked about it. And totally. so like, you never knew. So I never made more than $30,000 um, a year as a cyclist. It's, the, it's just absolutely mind-blowing to me with the level of athlete that you were and the comparison to what the men in that sport are doing. And it's probably one of the most lopsided sports out there as far as pay goes. My coach did some study because he's a smarty pants like that and like <laughs> figured out the numbers and like he made this like hypothetical 7-Eleven employee and like the 7-Eleven employee works through an entire career and I think he gets a promotion or something. And then he compared it to a female cyclist and the 7-Eleven employee made more money but that means that now as I'm retired (laughs) what I can tell my mom is like basically any job that I get like if I've learned to live off that amount of money like it's gonna feel like a promotion well like I I don't have to get a great job to be able to keep living the way I've been living so in some ways it's um given me lots of good perspective well it also just really shows that this was something you had passion for and maybe it wasn't actually cycling but like you said it was the pursuit to be the best Mm -hmm. so did that pursuit was that to be the best against other people or the best against yourself um well i think that in that situation it's the same thing because my best was on a good day the best over other people and Mm. so for me, I don't. I don't know if I ever had to make that distinction because, yeah, it was the same thing. Well, and there's your difference between swimming because, yeah, you want to beat the people around you, but you're you're driving against a clock. And mm-hmm. in bike racing, you can't drive a clock. There's winds. There's it can be the same course yeah. in a very different time. So I get, yeah, it's huge. Okay, so I'm gonna kind of fast forward because I want to go to. Well, first of all, let's talk about the first time you quit. Why did you quit racing? I quit because so I quit for I mean I guess it's always um wrapped up in lots of things but at the time I was dealing with an eating disorder and I had decided that this was entirely cycling's fault and that I was going to quit Mm. cycling and that that was going to solve all of my problems um and ultimately after a year of having quit I determined that um you know whatever contributing factor cycling had been to my problems all I'd done was that I still had all the same problems as me, but then I missed cycling as well. And so I decided to come back. So that's huge. I mean, that realization is huge because when you are in the grips of something pretty nasty, first of all, kudos to you for recognizing it. I mean, in eating disorder, you know, you guys, you look awesome. Like you look healthy and you look good. And yeah, you're a thin person, small frame. And that's what makes you part of what makes you such a powerhouse on those climbs. But um, I don't know if you still have, do you still have issues with, and I believe anorexia, right? Mm-hmm. Do you still have issues with it? Um, well, I think that it's, you know, it's interesting because I think that almost any endurance athlete has some spectrum of eating weirdness. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even call it eating weirdness. Eating I like weirdness. That. 
Yeah. Um, and the thing that's so tricky about it with athletes is that, you know, you can often, like people will often say, and they'll try and give the advice and they'll be like, you know, don't worry about it. it your weight isn't who you are. It doesn't matter what you eat. And you're like, well, actually, in some ways, it kind of does. Because if my goal is to be the best cyclist in the world, like, hell yeah, it matters what I eat. And yes, it matters what I weigh. And there's the converse to that. And I think that's something that's really helpful is like, if I don't eat enough and if I don't weigh enough, I'm actually worse. And so that's sort of something that I think is actually really helpful as a tool for endurance athletes who are struggling with that is that like using your sport almost as a motivation to keep yourself healthy. But... um, I sort of just lost my train of thought. Well, no. So, but we, we talked about like, it was the blame game. You were like, I've got this problem. I'm going to blame it on my sport. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you were looking for anything else to blame. It was cool that you recognized it and you said, I've got to get a grip on this. But then you, you used blame to do it. Yeah. So, so that took, so what happened over that? So the eating, I actually do want to talk about this a little bit because I think people listening, Almost every, especially woman, <laughs> when they reach a certain point in their life, have some kind of issue with food. And I love the way you call you called it eating weirdness. We all struggle with eating weirdness, right? Yeah. And um, and we feel bad. It brings up like guilt and control issues and things like that where um, other crutches we may have don't. And the problem with eating is that you have to do it. You yep. can't just go cold turkey on food. Like there's got to be some that's calorie kind of, intake or you're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's more of like finding a, a balance or something about how you perceive and t- intake your food that gets you to a happy place. So tell me more about it. Like, I don't know. I haven't struggled with anorexia. I've struggled with eating weirdness in a lot of other ways. Mm-hmm. But like what what prompts it? Um, I think that, I mean, for anyone, there are, you don't want to define that, I guess, because there are dozens of things that could prompt Mm -hmm. it and i think that when you call it a crutch um or a coping mechanism it might be Mm -hmm. yeah good um, point a more elegant way of putting it but you know whatever it is that you're struggling with you discover that that's a tool that helps you to feel better about it and so if what you're starting struggling with is body image okay maybe it helps you feel better better about body image i think for me a lot of it was about control and about feeling out of control of my life and my career and so then you learn you're like oh i can be in control of this one thing and so that makes you feel really good, but um, it is an addiction type of thing. And so you're like, I'm going to control it more. I'm going to control it more. I'm going to control it more. So at that point, it's not so helpful anymore. So I think that for anyone for anyone who ends up in that, it's a way to express something that you don't really know how to express. And I had, God, this is going to be super obnoxious, but um, I had a yoga teacher. And she's still my teacher, one of my greatest mentors. And she told me, that eating disorders are um, an illness of the third chakra. And what that means for all you people who are less obnoxious than I am and don't know what that is, um, your third chakra is in your throat. And so the idea is that you have a blockage in your throat chakra, which means that you're having trouble expressing yourself. And so that instead you're turning inward and you're doing something to yourself as a way of expressing whatever it is that you're unsatisfied with, whether it's how you look, whether it's how you're performing, whether it's your relationships or something else. It's something that you can't express verbally, and so you're embodying it. And I thought that was one of the wisest analyses of it that I'd ever heard. Oh, I who is this woman? We need to have her on so the show. <laughs> her name's Shannon. Her name's Shannon Page. She owns um, Earth Yoga, um, 
which is actually really close to Rally's board. It's like two blocks away. So it's all on, your favorite things in one place. I know. It moved out there. It worked out. Um, it's on Folsom and Valmont. Um, awesome. I, You know, I do love that. And when, as soon as you said throat, I just swallowed. It's like, and I, you can feel when you're blocked there. Mm-hmm. But often you can't identify that. So I think that's incredible. So, you know, you walk this, you may walk that, um, that what do you call it, the tightrope the rest of your life with yeah. this coping mechanism. And, and what I found with my own coping mechanisms is they rear their heads when I'm in times of turmoil. Like, and I think too, like yeah. the most, for me, it's about like, sort of like you say, it's about being aware of it. So I'm like, okay, well that's a trigger. And that's something that when I get into those times of turmoil, I'm like, you, it's, it's better to have your enemy in front of you than behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see it. And I think there's stuff too that, um, you know, I tried to learn because perfectionism can be another trigger for that. So I tried to learn not to be perfect about being recovered either or being in recovery. Um, and so, you know, a less, especially a lot of times at bike races when it's like super high pressure and you're having these stupid team dinners and like banquet halls of 10 bajillion of your competitors and everyone's like watching everybody else. And, you know, and, and so, so I would bizarre. learn, oh my God, it's <laughs> things I don't miss. But, um, one of the things I realized, I'm like, okay, so say I don't feel good sitting down there and like, I just can't make myself eat. I don't want to eat. I just want to like, you know, eat these specific things, whatever, then be like, all right, that's fine. But that means tonight you're going to have to go to your room and like get out your little tea kettle and your bag of instant oatmeal and eat like three bowls of oats because you still want to perform in the race. And so it's sort of like being like, all right, you can still control that because that makes you feel in control. However, you really like oatmeal? Like, okay, eat some more oatmeal. Like it's, it's, so it was sort of a way of letting myself play the game because that gave me a sense of control and I knew that I was scared and in a Mm. bad place, but also of trying to so trying to not go cold turkey because I knew that I couldn't but um be gentle with myself and be like all right but like main goal you got to get enough calories in so like maybe you're doing it in a weird way but like you got to get your calories in so like almost like deal making with myself you know do you have any advice for people who recognize that they're having eating weirdness Mm -hmm. on whatever level it is and what's the first thing they should do what's the first thing they should do I maybe Maybe it's just recognizing to what level it's a problem um, and whether it's something that you're capable of handling on your own, whether it's something where you can, because I wasn't at first and like, and now I can kind of manage it more. And so whether you're sitting there and you're like, all right, this is weird. This is damaging. Can I handle it on my own? And if I can't handle it on my own, who can I ask for help? Or even just acknowledging it to people being like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Saying it out loud. I'm not asking you to do anything. Like, you don't have to fix it. I just need to, like, uh, create some accountability, say it out loud, make it real. And the more that you can make it real, then the more that you're able to go forward and decide what you need to do to help yourself. Well, and I really appreciate that you can be open about this. This is a heavy thing that people try to hide. There's some shame involved for a lot of people. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, you may get some people who want to reach out to you afterwards who are struggling as well. And just the fact that you're willing to be open about your own struggles is huge. So thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Now we're going to talk about another struggle. Reach away. Oh. <laughs> is yeah. it, is it, I'm looking at your yeah. list. Is it triathlon? That's no, not a no. Th- this might actually be the, uh, this is this is the latest catalyst. Um, so 
I watched you give your TEDx talk in Boulder just a month after the Olympics, and the title of your talk was um, The Privilege of a Broken Heart. Yeah. Yeah. So what you did was you relived one of the most beautiful, incredible, gut-wrenching, breaking open things you've ever done, which was to come in fourth in the Olympics. And it, I've thought about this a bit, and it actually almost kind of reminded me of, it was like collective hearts were breaking when we watched you in that mm-hmm. race. It was almost like the election, okay? So <laughs> this, whatever oh, side no. you're on in the election, who cares? You'll get what I'm talking about. Like you're leading up to the event everybody's got a shot right but Mm -hmm. at a certain point and in your case during the event you broke free and you gained a considerable lead and you know half of the camp was like oh my gosh she's got it she's gonna win this thing and you're gaining all this like excitement you're preparing to win and we're following you on this path and then at a certain point along the way there was this realization that maybe you wouldn't and we just watched that happen slowly. Mm-hmm. In the case of the election, you know, that was drawn out over a night. In your case, it was drawn out over an hour or less when the realization really started to sink in. And, um, you know, I know this has been tough for you and like reliving it totally sucks. So I'm gonna make it really quick. But the point is, we know that you didn't win the race, you were caught at the very end, and, um, and all of our hearts broke when you crossed the line. And so I guess, um, you know, the first thought I have was just, what is a broken heart? Like, what does that, what did that feel like for you to define it as a broken heart and even take it a step fur- further? When you say it was having the privilege to have a broken heart, that means that some kind of perspective was already gained, even in a short term. Well, I think, first of all, that sort of is my way of using the cliche, like, better to have loved and lost than never loved it all. And so it was sort of one of those things where if I hadn't been all in and if I hadn't put my whole self into that, it wouldn't have hurt as much at the end, but I also wouldn't have given myself the opportunity to be the very best I could have been. And so a big part of my TED talk was, or my TEDx talk, excuse me, um, was... They're all the same. Uh, they're very specific about that. Yeah, I know they are. Um, <laughs> um, was um, sort of the risk that you take when you go all in because if you truly put yourself into something you risk having to sit there and be like wow like i was not good enough like i put absolutely everything i could have been on the line that day it was the best race one of it was probably the best race in my career and it wasn't good enough and you have to be able and first of all people like to be like oh it was still good enough and i'm like no no like i get i get to make the rules on this it wasn't good enough like my standards i was actually trying to win the race not put on a really cool show um, but, <laughs> hey, that would be kind of a <laughs> cool backstory. Yeah, secretly, <laughs> secretly, we made a deal with the network. Um, no, women cycling. Um, but um, a big thing that I talk about is like, so if you do that and if you have to face, I'm not good enough, that's a really hard thing to face because if you have an excuse where you're like, oh, well, you know, I didn't have very good training leading up to it or oh, I didn't eat my normal breakfast. The blame or like, game. Exactly, but you can mm-hmm. blame, not that, not even that, you're just, it's not the blame game, it's the excuse game. Ah. And so as long as you have an excuse, then you're like, but I like I could have still done it if I hadn't X, Y, Z'd or if X, Y, Z hadn't happened. 
Um, we all have played the excuse game. And so I think that one of the most powerful things, and Grant actually, my coach at Rally Sport, um, was the first one who sort of taught me about this, was unless you take that risk of knowing what your limit is, you're never going to get to be as good as you could have been. And so for me, that was sort of loss of being like, you know what, like I put absolutely everything I could into that. And yeah, that was that. Well, and we often think of like hearts breaking in relationships. And oh my God, I'm so good at the relationship analogies. It's right. Oh, hey, what's, how's that going right now? Well, no, 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 <laughs> not like that. Like, like my friends are like, oh, you know, I'm having this problem with my boyfriend. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you a story about cycling. And so I have, I have all sorts of good sports analogies. Oh my gosh, you, I love it. Because you look at the, so the first time that um, I quit cycling, had a, you know, swimming had been my high school boyfriend. But, you know, we loved each other. But we were just heading in different directions. Yeah, it was a long and then, term. Long and, then, term. and then I sort of fell in with this rock star cycling boyfriend and everything was really exciting, really exciting and really fast. Um, but we had a pretty ugly breakup and we didn't talk for a really long time. And like, I wouldn't go to any coffee shops where the cyclists hung out because I didn't want to hang out with his friends. Um, and then um, ultimately we decided that we still loved each other and we got back together, even though it was on a less um, emotional and more real terms. <laughs> so there's more where that came from. Is that from. where you are right now? No, now, now um, we've we've had to part ways again, unfortunately. No, he's, but this your, is, he's your constant companion. He's well, your commuting companion. That's that's true. But I guess that maybe what it's what it is then is like cycling and I are learning to be so like cycling and I. Then we got a divorce. So retiring is divorce. Yes. In this analogy yes. line. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got divorced, which was painful and hard. But at the same time, you know, it was time. It was time for us both to move on and live different lives. And so now um, when I'm commuting on my bike, that's us just being friends and we can be really good friends. But the, 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 the big the big drama love is over. I mean, this is this is incredible because I'm, I totally understand this. It's right? really fun. Everyone listening understands this. This is very relevant and I can just see it. And you're still not that far away from the divorce. Like it's probably still a little bit raw. I don't oh, know. yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm also like thinking about this word control keeps popping back up. So, mm -hmm. you know, eating disorder, that's kind of hits it there. You've got, um, then you've got this actual like the control that you okay so you're in the race right you're yeah. in any race anyone in any race anywhere you're racing yourself you're racing the people around you in this case in the olympics you were racing the people around you as much as you're racing yourself and you couldn't control the kind of race they had you could only control your race you couldn't control the conditions you couldn't control whether you got your nutrition necessarily somebody might have missed it for you you know yeah like, there's a lot of things outside of your control. And um, I I just wonder, like, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? And, and advice for people who they go into these marathons and they say, I want to run four hours and 30 minutes for my marathon, and that's my goal. Well, I would say that, first of all, if you want to learn, if you want to get a lot of practice not being in control, of all the sports in the world, do bike racing because there are so many and that's part of what I was just like I'm so done with this because like I was like I remember talking to someone afterwards I'm like what would it be like like after after I retired that is what would it be like if you just showed up to a race and like in general like sometimes shit happens but like in general the person who was strongest won the race like 
to running, triathlon, these sorts of things, swimming. In general, like sometimes stuff happens, but if you're the strongest, you win the race. But in cycling, there's tactics. So maybe you're strongest, so that means that they give one of your teammates an opportunity and you're back in the peloton. Or you're the strongest, but you get a flat or you get a mechanical. Mm-hmm. Or like the tactics of another team, you're the physically the strongest, but you don't have the best strategy. And so like sometimes it can be um, a little bit much and you're like, seriously, like I would just actually like to like everybody line up and let's see who wins. Um, so I think that for me, um, I got a lot of practice doing that. And it's sort of one of those things that like every race that you do, you get a little bit better at it and you learn a little bit more and you learn very much to control absolutely everything you can. So like in terms of missing your nutrition, like, okay, you've got a couple extra gels in your back pocket because you can't count on someone else to give that to you. Good point. And, um, you know, you, I don't know, you, you pack your extra cycling shoes in your backpack instead of putting them in your luggage because you don't know if your luggage is gonna get lost. And so like all those little things like that, you, on one hand, you're figuring out all the tiny thing, little things that you can control, that you can take care of, and that you can hedge to make sure that you're gonna be able to have their performance. And on the other hand, you're trying to be completely cognizant of the fact that you actually have no control. And so like you're trying to sell yourself up the best, but a big part of it, and a big part of what makes cyclists and anyone probably successful long-term is the ability to have that resilience and to change course. So if something doesn't go your way, to not panic and be like, oh my God, like this didn't, you know, this this person attacked or like I dropped my water bottle or something like that and be like, it's okay. Cause I've been through a, I've been through things where it didn't line up perfectly before and I lived. Um, and B, I've got a plan B, like you've always got your plan B mm-hmm. and you can switch to that without attachment. So it's part maturity and part um, like, practicality exactly and part like getting it wrong a bunch of times and yes. learning that generally speaking nobody died when you got it wrong and that's a good thing what's the worst that can happen right exactly and it could be bad but it could be a lot worse usually. yeah um okay so with your background in swimming and your background in cycling and all these things you've learned and how hard you've had to push your body and how gosh how damn talented you are when are you going to do your next triathlon well, so here, here's the issue with triathlons. Um, so what I would actually love to do, first of all, is I would love to get into running. I've never been a runner before. I was a swimmer and then I was a triathlete, um, which makes me currently uniquely capable of injuring myself as a runner because I have actually no regulators um, other than being patient. But um, I'd love to be a runner. But the problem with triathlon is even in cycling, you know, you've, you're doing a time trial. And so you've got to like, worry about shaving this gram of resistance and like this position and like taking the corner in this way and all the minutia and the specific things about it made me so crazy. Like I, I was never any good at time trial. I was never consistently good at time trialing. And I think a big reason I was never consistently good at time trialing is because I just didn't have the patience for it. Like to be the best at time trialing, I really needed to focus on the little details and the technical things. And I was like, no, I just want to go ride my bike. Like, And if there is anyone other than time trialists who is more finicky as a general rule about minutia and about their equipment and about having a little gadget and having this. And the thing that sucks about it is those all those things in those pursuits, they actually help. And I just don't have the patience for them. So I think that even though maybe I'm 
physiologically suited for being a triathlete. Um, I dispositionally don't know if I could do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to start with running because the fact that that can be simple and there's no equipment involved and it's so easy and pure of a sport has always really appealed to me. And so we're going to give that a go first. And I love that outlook. You have to. You have to start by doing a little running because that's involved in a triathlon anyway. A triathlon will be there for you. If you're going to peak in triathlon, you still got another 10 years. Seriously, you have time. So you should be enjoying the next pursuit. And look where we live. Yay. You can get out on these beautiful, soft trails that can be gentle on your body. Exactly. I know. I appreciate that. Okay. So at this phase in your life, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Um... Well, I would say over the last six months, and see, this is why the analogy is so apt, because not a lot of people have um, retired from athletics at that level, but many people understand the divorce analogy really well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I do that um, more adroitly than others. Um, Right now, um, I'm working on a project um, for our local newspaper, Um, and so going into journalism and I already told Nicole that I can't talk too much about what I'm going to say in the article because I haven't published the article yet top secret um but um you know (laughs) you're just gonna have to buy your you're gonna have to buy your daily camera and invest in local news yay um but so I'm working on that and going into journalism is something that over the long term of my life I would love to get into that being said you know you look at the fraction of people who are able to take recreational sports and turn into an Olympic athlete and you look at the fraction of people who write a letter to the editor and are able to become like incredibly influential journalists and it's it's kind of a toss-up which of these is more challenging and so that's something that I would love to pursue in the long term whether or not I have the talent for it we'll see um you're an incredible writer I will uh have a link to I think it was the New York Times it was Wall Street Journal Wall Street Journal um, and you you wrote an incredible article after the Olympics, sharing your experience, and they it, it had it went viral, cheaper than therapy. So with your uh, TEDx talk too, we're also going to have a link to that. You had a goal to get a certain amount of views so that you could I forget what it was, go to the spa or yeah. something. What you're, was it? You guys are going to have to keep clicking. <laughs> we're not there yet. Tell tell us the goal. I was I, we'll I, get it you was there. Like a super arbitrary goal. I was like, I want to get to five hundred thousand clicks. And right now, I think I'm at like 80,000. That's amazing. So, so, we've got a lot of work to do, yes. guys. All right, let's do it, you guys. But We're you have to do it from, thing you have to do it from different browsers. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. It's been months since that talk, and you were pretty raw. And in fact, a friend of mine who also spoke at that event said, yeah, you might want to check Amara. Do you know her? And I said, no, but I feel this need to know her. And she goes, yeah, she was curled up in the fetal position, went, fall, uh, uh, I, sleeping soundly after your speech I went, on the floor. I went to... I went first at TEDx. It was Ooh. so it was one of those things that I think in the big picture I would have ideally had a little bit more time between the race and the TEDx, but the TEDx was scheduled when it was and and I'm glad I took that opportunity, but it was a lot emotionally. And so I hadn't really realized how much emotional energy I put into it, and so I went first and literally I went back to the little green room afterwards and I just like conked out on the floor. And I was just like, I'm just, it wasn't even like, there was no negative emotion. I was just like, I'm just so tired. You were just, it was pure exhaustion. And so I just went to sleep. God. (laughs) I kind of miss those days of pure exhaustion from just 
I don't know. Anyway, you know what, Mara? This has been so incredible. I want to keep going, but we're at 40 minutes. We've already passed the 5K. Unless you went slower than that. There's like, if this is an average, there are some people faster and some yeah, people slower. Yeah, okay, then let's do a few more questions. Okay, so I, I'm understanding that you've got a passion for a lot of really important things in this world. You're working on a farm right now. Tell yes. me about that. So the farm... I love the farm. The farm is, you know, if I people were to ask me what was the biggest thing in getting me to the Olympics last year, it was working at the farm because I would go and I would show up to market on like a Wednesday night and like bike racing would be stressful and bike race world would be stressful and I would be really emotionally exhausted and I would just show up and I'd be like, oh my God, everything is okay. Um, perspective. So, perspective. And just huh? being surrounded by people that I really aligned with and... Because I never, I didn't always feel at home in cycling world. I never quite felt like I fit in. And like with the farm, it was all, it was my people. Like I just belonged there. You know, you belong in elite cycling, you belong on the farm. But like I belonged on the farm. And so the more time that I spend there, like I swear, like it just, it just feels so good. And so it's a little local farm here in Boulder. It's called Cure Organic Farm. Um, And now they're gonna let me start working at the farm store since I'm slightly more reliable schedule-wise, but it's something that, um, it's just, it's something that suited me and it's people that I cared about and it's somewhere what, I just felt at home. And what kind of work do you do? Um, so I'm kind of the bottom of the totem pole. So I work, I started out by um, just working at market and then they like let me come to the actual farm. Like I got my promotion that I got. They let come. you in. They let me behind in. Behind the curtain. And so then I got to come and like help out with the um, sorting and the packing. And like sometimes, very rarely, they let me help harvest. But considering those are their profits and I am less skilled, um, I'm working my way up there. And so then I get to work at the farm store too. It's amazing. So. And so do they have like a big thing coming up? Yes. So depending on when this is promoted, if it's March 18th and 19th, we're selling some frozen pigs, um, which is really high quality. It's a quality. pig sale, baby. It's a pig sale. <laughs> um, and I'm in charge of the pig sale, which I'm really excited about because it means I get to spend two whole days at the farm. So oh my gosh. if you see me on the 20th, I'm going to be flying high. Um, wow. But yeah, so it's going to be the 18th and the 19th. It's out at 75th and Valmont. If you know where the Munsons are, they're across the street from the Munsons. Cool. Um, I love that. And it's like going to paradise, best place in the world. So, you know, there's no doubt that you're doing big. You're, you've already done big, important things in this world. And I just get the sense that there's so much more to come from you. And what you're doing is helping people, even if you don't realize it. So I ask every guest one final question. Same question. You probably know it because you've listened. Um, it named the podcast is Run This World right? So if you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one nugget that would help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, I think it would be, this is slightly long-winded, but um, the code word would be authenticity. Um, and what I mean by that is when you give yourself that permission to be in a best in the world pursuit or fully devoting yourself to something, you can never do that unless it's something that matters to you completely authentically. And sometimes it's hard to admit the things that matter to us authentically because we judge them. And so like for me, I'm like, maybe I authentically belong more on a farm than I do on an Olympic podium. And like, that sounds kind of silly, but like, that's where my heart is right now. And um, so figuring out for you what matters to you authentically and accepting that and owning it 
because otherwise you can never commit and you can never be your best in the world. That is freaking huge. I love it. Awesome way to end it. Thanks so much. No problem. So there you have it. At the ripe old age of 31, Mara has already started and retired from the sport of cycling twice. I think her story is relatable on so many levels. You know, not the part about going after an Olympic gold, but clearly that's not something everyone will attempt. But the part about trying so hard to control the things around you that you end up hurting yourself. Whew, that's a big one. Um, She's definitely going through this in-between stage. Uh, Just She's just navigating it so well. And as she says, when you give yourself permission to fully devote yourself to something, you can never give yourself that permission unless it's something that matters to you completely authentically. Sometimes it's hard to admit the things that matter to you most because we judge those things. That made a whole lot of sense to me, and I'm sure it does to you too. So let's just stop judging ourselves. We talk all the time about judging other people, but man, let's just start with ourselves. So there it is. There is Mara's big grand lesson. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Man, it was fun. Um, You know, before I wrap it up, I want to tell you about something cool that we're doing at Skirt Sports. I, uh, I launched a new challenge this year, and we call it the Real Women Move Challenge. That's kind of our hashtag, Real Women Move, because we're about all women, all shapes, all sizes, all ages, you name it. And uh, it's basically a private Facebook group that has formed into a crazy awesome community all on its own in two weeks. We've got closing in on a thousand women so far. The thing about it is it's free. Okay, so there's no reason not to join it. And once you get in there, the whole idea is that you're just moving your life forward. So you set a goal, some kind of fitness goal. I have written training plans for 5K, 10K, 13, or a sprint, a sprint and Olympic distance tries as well. And, um, you know, it, people are doing all kinds of stuff, but you've got a lot of resources in there. And, it, and in addition... I'm setting up all kinds of really cool expert guests and people who are going to make your lives better and do things like teach you how to swim as an adult, stuff you never thought you could do on your own. So take a look at that. I'm going to put a link in the show notes, but you can find it at skirtsports.com. All you have to do is go to community and you're going to see it right away, Real Women Move Challenge. And I just encourage you to move yourself forward. That is the whole point in this life. So there you have it, everyone. I think that's a wrap. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. I hope you have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.